to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for part two of the ketogenic and intermittent fasting episode. Today, we are covering the topic that goes against nutritional dogma, and that is intermittent fasting. Today's episode may be my favorite yet, because intermittent fasting is something that can be easily implemented, and the potential health benefits are astounding. I'm really excited to bring this topic to all of you because there is a surmounting amount of positive evidence for intermittent fasting, and this evidence is of high quality. Now, I'm talking these studies are being published in the top science journals in the world, including Cell, Cell Metabolism, Nature, and Science. So if you want to know how intermittent fasting may help us become more metabolically flexible, may potentially reduce our risk of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, neurodegenerative disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and aging, then listen on and let's jump right into it. Now, there are many different protocols for fasting that are currently being published. For example, there is intermittent fasting, which generally refers to us not eating and only drinking water for 24 to 72 hours. I've also seen protocols that include five consecutive days of eating low protein and low calorie, where you eat only 35 to 55% of your calorie needs, and this is done once per month. Another term you may also hear is time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating. This means people will eat all of their calories in a smaller time frame every day, for example, in a six to eight hour window during the day, so that every day they are fasting for 16 to 18 hours. Some of our data about fasting also comes from cultural practices such as Ramadan, where they eat only during sundown for several weeks. Now, for years, when I went through university and human nutritional sciences training, we were taught that we should eat every three to four hours a balanced meal in order to maintain our metabolism and to have stable blood glucose. We were warned that if we ate infrequently, our metabolism would slow down tremendously. But tons of amazing and high-quality science is coming out to go exactly opposite of that. For example, there are very beneficial processes that are anti-cancer and anti-aging that are only turned on during times of fasting. If we are eating a balanced meal every three to four hours, those processes are never really ramped up. In my opinion, the reason intermittent fasting has gained popularity is because only during times of fasting is the metabolic process called autophagy turned on and accelerated. During times of fasting, your body goes into sort of a recycling mode. So the process of autophagy is ramped up and the body says, okay, what cells here are not working properly anymore? What cells can be recycled and which ones can go? Autophagy really is the clearing up process of the body. What autophagy does is recognizes cells or cell components that contain mutations that are not working properly anymore. And essentially, the process of autophagy causes these cells to break down and they can be used for energy or for future cellular repair. Now, this is really critical because mutations in cells can lead to cancer. Autophagy is absolutely essential for our homeostasis or to maintain our health in a stable manner. 
In a lot of animal studies where autophagy is impaired, we see reduced energy levels, reduced muscle repair, an increased risk of cancer, and an increased risk of neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's and dementia. Autophagy is turned on in times of nutrient deprivation and fasting. So if we are to follow the nutritional dogma of eating a balanced meal every three to four hours, the process of autophagy is never really ramped up and turned on fully. We know in animal studies that with eating often throughout the day without periods of fasting, the buildup of malfunctioning cells and protein aggregates is higher versus an eating schedule with periods of fasting. We only reach a state of fasting typically after 18 hours of not eating or drinking except for water. So the argument for intermittent fasting is to turn on the beneficial process of autophagy to clear out those malfunctioning and damaged cells so our bodies can function at the best it possibly can. Now this has potential implications for exercise performance, the risk of cancer, and neurodegenerative disease. Another reason intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating has gained popularity is because it makes us more metabolically flexible. You see, if we are eating a balanced meal every three to four hours, then our body adapts to this and let's say puts all of its eggs in one basket, meaning our body is expecting food often and expecting carbs for energy often. Then say we become busy one day and we can't eat or we have to fast for a blood test, for example. Then a lot of the time, if someone eats every three to four hours a balanced meal, when they have to fast or they can't eat, then they'll often feel weak, anxious, dizzy, irritable, etc. Because they never let their body know any different. So how about we make our bodies more metabolically flexible and resilient? Meaning that we can teach our bodies to quickly switch from burning carbs to burning fat and generating ketones for quick energy. After several periods of fasting or fasting mimicking diet, such as the keto diet, our body learns to adapt very quickly, making it more metabolically flexible. Now this is very important, for example, if someone has shift work and can't eat regularly, or if you lead a busy life. Then that way, if you can't get a chance to eat, your body will quickly go into fat burning mode, giving your body the energy it needs, making you less likely to feel sluggish, dizzy, irritable, etc. And this has been shown many times in clinical trials. This metabolic flexibility is very important for adaptation and resilience to stress and disease. Now, there's a great review published by Matson in Nature Neuroscience Reviews last year that discusses the concept of metabolic flexibility and how it causes our brain to become more neuroplastic and more likely to adapt, which is a good thing. This enhances the brain functionality and resistance to stress and disease. Matson reviews that time-restricted feeding means like again, eating our food within a small window throughout the day has shown many benefits for learning, memory, and reduced measures of anxiety in rodent studies. Intermittent fasting in animal studies induces mitochondria biogenesis, which means that we will have a greater number of properly functioning mitochondria or powerhouses to fuel our body in our cells. Now, this is particularly important in neurons in our brain and for their ability to adapt. We need to be able to switch from cellular recycling, aka fasting, to cellular repair and building, aka eating. This is only accomplished with time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting. This is not accomplished with the typical nutritional dogma of eating a balanced meal every three to four hours. 
Anton and colleagues published in the journal Obesity last year a great review in which they concluded that periods of fasting essentially turn our bodies into metabolic powerhouses. Fasting switches our body into a different metabolic state. As a result, our liver and muscles learn to adapt very quickly in order to be more efficient at creating another energy source, meaning that they're going to use fatty acids and turn them into ketones very quickly. As a result, in the muscles, more oxidative muscle fibers are created and thus can enhance potentially exercise performance, particularly with endurance exercise. If following time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, the body will now be more efficient at mobilizing our fat stores for energy and becoming more resilient to periods of fasting. Now, I personally found this for myself when I started doing intermittent fasting. Before I started this protocol, I would become so irritable and weak when I couldn't get to my lunch break because of work demands. Now that I introduced some ketogenic meals or intermittent fasting, I can go a much longer period of time without eating. One unique way of going about intermittent fasting is something I found for myself. So instead of fasting, meaning only drinking water for 18 hours a day or a few days a month, for example, in theory, the ketogenic diet, which is 90% of calories coming from fat, mimics us being in a fasted state, as I discussed in part one of this episode. Therefore, in theory, the ketogenic diet or ketogenic meals could be followed for the same time periods as intermittent fasting. So for example, this could be accomplished by eating a well-balanced and healthy breakfast and lunch within a six-hour window in the morning, and then in the evening having a meal where 90% of your calories are healthy fat. For example, a salad with low-carb veggies such as broccoli, cauliflower, and some leafy greens, and then a healthy source of fat such as a flax oil vinaigrette. Then perhaps you can have a decaf coffee with some MCT oil added to it. Now this protocol has never been studied, but this is something I personally came up with, is a possible combination of ketogenic eating and intermittent fasting. Another possibility is to do a ketogenic diet for two days a week or five days a month, for example, instead of water fasting for these same time periods. In theory, because the ketogenic diet represents nutrient deprivation and fasting, This could induce the beneficial effects of autophagy and metabolic flexibility. Brand Horst in 2015 published in Cell Metabolism that cycling of low-calorie days followed by regular eating days has many beneficial effects in mouse models and in humans. Now, five consecutive low-calorie days per month that held 34 to 54% of their calorie needs rejuvenated the immune system and reduced cancer incidence in mice. They also show that this eating protocol promoted hippocampal neuron genesis and improved cognitive performance in mice. In humans, five consecutive days of low protein and low calorie days per month induced beneficial changes in risk factors of age-related diseases, including reducing biomarkers of heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and aging. Martinez Lopez in 2017 published in the journal Cell Metabolism the health benefits of intermittent fasting, where the mice consumed their food in two windows throughout the day, between 8 to 10 a.m. and between 5 to 7 p.m. There was no food restriction. These mice still ate the same amount of food as the control group that had access to food 24-7. Now, simply eating the same amount of food but in a shorter time window did induce some beneficial effects, such as fat loss, muscle gain, increased leptin sensitivity, and an increase in those markers of that beneficial process, autophagy. Now let's look at some clinical data on the health effects of intermittent fasting. Sutton and colleagues published last year a protocol of time-restricted eating, 
where men diagnosed with pre-diabetes would consume their meals within a six-hour time window from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. They compared this to a control group that consumed the exact same food within a 12-hour window of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Now, this was a crossover design, so all the men were either in the control group or the time-restricted group. Now, this was a very well-designed and tightly controlled study, but it is important to know that this study was done in only men, and that should be repeated to include women as well. But nevertheless, the authors concluded that simply changing the window of time where you eat the food without changing what you eat resulted in some strong health benefits. They noted that time-restricted eating improved blood pressure, reduced cravings in the evening, improved measures of oxidative stress, insulin sensitivity, and pancreatic beta cell function, which is important for diabetes risk. There are other reports to support the idea the time-restricted eating and improvements in measures of glucose and insulin in diabetes. I want to point out that it is suggested to eat your meals in the morning as opposed to the evening, as insulin sensitivity is highest in the morning for the majority of people. Harder and Lordson in 2017 looked at time-restricted eating in the evening, and they showed no health benefit in healthy men in regard to blood glucose. Chang and colleagues published in 2017 in the journal Cell that low-calorie days and low-protein days cycled with regular eating had substantial improvement in measures of diabetes in mouse models and also in human pancreatic cells. Now, our pancreas contains beta cells, which are responsible for producing insulin, which keeps our blood glucose levels in a normal range. In diabetes, our beta cells can become tired and less efficient, therefore producing less insulin and our glucose levels rise. Chang and colleagues published that low-calorie, low-protein days followed by regular eating days induced beta cell regeneration, improved insulin resistance, and improved blood glucose levels. They define this beneficial improvement due to reducing mediators such as mTOR and PKA and increasing genes such as SOX and NGN3. Now let's jump into intermittent fasting, autophagy, and neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, ALS, Parkinson's, and Huntington's disease. Autophagy has a very important role in the stability, function, and survival of neurons in our brain. We know from both animal and clinical studies that defects in the process of autophagy can be the cause of neuron degeneration and dementia. The brain in particular is the most sensitive when defects in autophagy are observed. Now, defects in autophagy can cause the neurons to accumulate protein aggregates and the neurons will die with those protein aggregates surmounting. This topic was reviewed very well by Ralph Nixon in Nature Medicine in 2013. Autophagy is generally characterized as very neuroprotective, but in certain situations where there is a genetic defect that is rare, causing autophagy to malfunction, turning on autophagy may not be a good thing, and rather in these scenarios, sometimes inhibiting this malfunctioning autophagy process is beneficial. A lot of research is going into finding new medications that either fix a malfunctioning autophagy process or to induce properly functioning autophagy. For example, rapamycin, which induces autophagy, has shown great improvements in mouse models of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and Huntington's disease. But so far, this is limited to cell culture and mouse studies. And right now, I haven't seen any registered clinical trials looking at rapamycin in dementia or Parkinson's on clinicaltrials.gov. 
But we do know that restricting calories is very effective at preventing aging characteristics and particularly aging of the brain. This has been shown numerous times over the last several decades. So it's not a far shot thinking that intermittent fasting may have benefit as well. Shin and colleagues in 2018 showed that intermittent fasting in rodents did improve cognitive function. Vasconcelos in 2014 published that intermittent fasting reduced cognitive decline and brain inflammation in a rat model of systemic inflammation. Zhu and colleagues published last month that intermittent fasting in a mouse model of Parkinson's disease helps the mice maintain their motor function and normal movement, as well as help to maintain their dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra, which are often affected in Parkinson's disease. This eating protocol also reduced inflammation in the brain, as indicated by reduced inflammatory glial cells and reduced TNF-alpha and IL-1 beta. The researchers' protocol included one day of eating at 50% the usual calorie intake, and then day two and three at 10% of the usual calories, then days four to seven and of unrestricted eating. And they saw profound benefits for Parkinson's disease, but do keep in mind this was a mouse study. So there is some strong evidence to illustrate that improper or low levels of autophagy are one of the mechanisms of neurodegenerative disease, such as dementia and Parkinson's. So it is thought that if we can increase autophagy through fasting, we can perhaps reduce our risk or prevent the progression of disease such as dementia. Intermittent fasting may also have benefits for inflammatory bowel disease. Rangan and colleagues just published in Cell Reports earlier this week that cycling of days of low calorie and low protein with regular eating days improved intestinal health in mice that modeled inflammatory bowel disease such as Crohn's and colitis. In mice, a fasting-mimicking diet reduced inflammation in the intestines, maintained intestinal length, enhanced beneficial microbial populations in the gut, and helped with intestinal repair and regeneration. In humans with elevated inflammation, as measured by C-reactive protein in the blood, cycles of low-calorie days reduced white blood cell count and lymphocytes indicating a reduction in systemic inflammation. So intermittent fasting does appear to reduce inflammation in humans. But the authors do note that a randomized controlled clinical trial looking at patients with inflammatory bowel disease is still needed. Next, we are going to talk about intermittent fasting, autophagy, and cancer. We know that restricting calories has benefits in reducing cancer risk. And by contrast, overeating and obesity is associated with a higher risk of cancer. Harvey and Howell in 2016 nicely reviewed the effects of intermittent fasting on the risk for cancer. Now, the grand majority of the data is coming from animal studies, but they concluded that periods of intermittent fasting do indeed reduce tumor rates in mice, even more effective than continuous eating and with calorie restriction. So it is thought that intermittent fasting is superior to calorie restriction, due to the induction of autophagy and the beneficial effects of insulin signaling. mTOR, which stands for mammalian target of rapamycin, is important in growth and protein synthesis, but it has also been implicated in tumor growth and cancer. Now, mTOR is nutrient sensitive, meaning that it being induced or functional is dependent upon our diet. High intake of protein in our diet induces mTOR. Now, in times when we are weight training or building muscle, this induction of mTOR is recognized as beneficial, so our muscles can be repaired. But if we are not weight training, induction of mTOR may have pro-cancer-like effects if ramped up. 
It is generalized that if you are eating high protein, you better be using that protein, meaning weight training for building muscle or growing as a child. If you're not doing either of those, a very high protein diet is not warranted and actually may wind up being detrimental as your body will very highly increase mTOR and human growth hormone without a need to repair muscle or to grow. Fasting, on the other hand, actually looks to reduce protein intakes that we can reduce our mTOR, and this has potential for anti-cancer effects. Therefore, days of low protein and low calorie or fasting have been very beneficial in animal models of cancer. Fasting may have some benefits against cancer because some tumors and tumor cells will only grow as glucose with its fuel. So when the body goes into a fasting or ketogenic state, the rest of the body's cells will adapt to utilize ketone bodies for energy as opposed to glucose. But the tumor cells don't necessarily have that ability to adapt. So essentially, in theory, a ketogenic or fasted state means that you can starve out the cancer cells. Now, this hypothesis does hold true in some animal studies, but in some models of cancer, such as kidney cancer, there is reported to be no benefit. In regard to clinical data, there are some case studies, for example, by Nebeling in 1995, where scientists investigated the tolerability of a ketogenic diet for patients living with cancer and have shown a decreased glucose uptake by tumors using a PET scan, which is a beneficial effect, meaning lowered metabolism of the cancer cells. But in this study, there was no conclusive information to see if this fasting-mimicking diet could improve lifespan or the patient's quality of life. I think the most important study in regard to intermittent fasting and cancer was an observational trial of over 2,400 women that were diagnosed with breast cancer or breast cancer survivors. They followed these, women's, these women for a long period of time. And they found that the women that tended to fast overnight for 13 hours or more had a significantly lower risk of breast cancer recurrence versus women that fasted for less than 13 hours overnight. In fact, the women that fasted for less than 13 hours overnight saw a 36% increase in breast cancer recurrence. Now, this was published in JAMA Oncology in 2016 by Marinac and colleagues. There are numerous, regis numerous registered clinical trials that are currently underway looking at the tolerability and efficacy of fasting or fasting mimetic diets, such as the ketogenic diet, on the quality of life, lifespan, and cancer regression in patients. I hope to be able to update you on all of these trials in the very near future. The last thing I want to briefly discuss about fasting is the risk of binge eating episodes. Some people that may suffer from binge eating, where they may feel that they have no control over their eating and consume very large quantities of food in a short period of time, may have a very hard time with these fasting protocols. When coming off of a fast, please do your best to return to a healthy diet with a regular caloric intake. If you are at risk for an eating disorder or binge eating, this may not be for you. In addition, fasting is not suggested for children or teenagers that are growing, and the elderly may have difficulty with fasting because their bodies may not be able to adapt as efficiently to burning fat. So if you are to attempt any of these fasting protocols, please refer to your physician or dietitian before beginning any of it. Okay, so there you have it. Part one and part two of this massive topic. Intermittent fasting comes in many forms. We have seen protocols that include time-restricted eating where people fast for 16 to 18 hours a day, 
Some protocols include water only for 24 to 48 hours and doing this once a month. And some protocols include low protein and low calorie days that have 35 to 55% of your calorie needs for five consecutive days per month. In brief summary of this episode, there is a lot of very high quality data to show that different protocols of fasting have enormous health benefits for the induction of autophagy, which has implications for reducing cancer risk and reducing neurodegenerative diseases such as dementia, which is huge. Fasting can also improve risk factors for diabetes, which has been shown in both animal and clinical trials. Some animal data supports that fasting can improve inflammatory bowel disease, and periods of fasting can also improve measures of inflammation in humans. If we are eating high protein every day without weight training or eating balanced meals every three to four hours, we may not see the health benefits of autophagy and metabolic flexibility. Before I sign off, if you love the show, please do me a favor and hit that subscribe button on any medium that you're listening on so you can always know when my next episode is up. I plan to publish a new episode every Sunday. If you like the show or even if you don't like the show, leave me a review and let me know what you think. Lastly, tell a friend about the show so that they can become a part of the People Scientist Army. I'm going to end off with a five-star review that me4788 left on Apple Podcasts. They wrote, So happy to have finally found someone reputable that I can trust about the latest diet trends. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, me4788, for taking the time to leave your review, and I plan to do just that. So there it is, my people scientist army. I have armed you with the knowledge on fasting and the health effects it can have. It is now up to you to make those healthy lifestyle changes. Remember, we only have one body, and it is up to us to take the best care of it as possible so we can live the healthy and fun lives we want to live. Until next time, I hope you all have a super healthy week. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.